Well, good morning, everyone. We are in the last week of preaching through the Bible, and next week is the finale you are not going to want to miss. We started the week after Easter back in April, and we were preaching through and looking at a constant thread that every book of the Bible has a theme, and that theme is look forward to Jesus. And so would you say that? I'll not make you have you do hand motions this weekend, but uh, to help you remember that, we talked about creation gets flooded. I'll explain that in detail next week. The chosen family makes their way to the promised land. Uh, Conquer and settle. We three kings, that's Saul, David, and Solomon. Uh, The prophets, uh, divided we fall. Prophets said shape up or ship out. There was poetry and wisdom. And then, shh. I'll explain that's the Old Testament. The New Testament started out with joy to the world, the Lord is come. And then the Holy Spirit came down, planted the church. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open door, see all the people. There were letters to churches. Last weekend, uh, Pastor Chris talked about Revelation chapter 4 through 19, where all hell breaks loose. And then this week, we're talking about a paradise restored in the form of victory. All right? So that describes the Bible. Next week, we'll make sure you can put it all together so that if a friend said to you, could you summarize for me the story of the Bible, uh, you could do that and help them see how there is a constant theme of looking forward to Jesus. Last weekend, Joyce and I uh, accepted an invitation to go to Salt Lake City. We were with a church, Sego Church, that we helped plant as a congregation out of our God-sized vision. And uh, they target that uh, community that's about 50% Mormons, uh, trying to reach them. And so Friday night, we had uh, dinner with some leaders. And Saturday, we participated in helping to present a couple's uh, workshop. And then Sunday morning was service, and a lady came to me Sunday morning. said, I was here last night. I checked you guys out. You have an amazing church. I had to agree. Uh, And then she said, oh, I'm so jealous because uh, you're having uh, Mark Gunger. He's hilarious, and we love him, and he's great for a marriage, and I want to be there. So anyways, Mark Gunger's coming Thursday and Friday. If you haven't got your tickets yet, it is Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And then the next week, we're having Danny Goki in concert with Jordan Feliz as well. So it's a busy month at Christian Life Center. So yeah, uh, it's not too late to, to be with us for that. So uh, this weekend, I want to talk about uh, this thread coming to the end. We started Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We're ending with Revelation. And I want to talk about endings because that's really, Revelation is about endings and then a new beginning. Endings can be planned and unplanned. They can be good and bad, uh, desirable or not. Uh, Friday, Joyce and I uh, took my day off. We drove to Cleveland to see my 91-year-old mom who uh, is in a nursing home. Uh, She came down with COVID and then pneumonia this past spring. Many of you asked about how she's doing. Uh, She's pretty much bedridden and uh, stuck in in a bed that she never wanted to be in and a place she never wanted to spend her final days. Uh, Joyce uh, filled up a basin with some warm water with some body soap in it and she uh, was massaging her hands and then dried them off and painted her fingernails because she was always a hair done, fingernails done kind of lady. And uh, a few minutes later, she started to cry and said, Stan, did you ever think it would end like this? I said, no, Mom. I said, my prayer was that you would go to sleep one day and, and wake up in heaven and we'd skip this face. Uh, but because she's bedridden, there's no way to care for her otherwise. And some of you may be living through an undesirable ending. Or maybe you've had one in your life. Maybe it wasn't a loved one or a relationship. Maybe it was a career. Maybe it was your physical health. 
Maybe uh, you've on the other, other end of the continuum, there are also happy endings, and they lived happily ever after. I love happily ever afters, don't you? Uh, and I was talking to somebody last night, and they were like, well, hey, I'm sorry your retirement didn't work out, but I'm kind of happy you're here for a couple more years. And he said, and I have the reverse. I'm getting retired, didn't know it. So uh, surprised that way. Uh, and so sometimes you can plan it, and it all goes well, and sometimes you can't. Well, I want to talk. If you have the CLC app, you can uh, follow along with me, and the verses are there as well. The app is also a great place to know all that's going on and also to plug in. But I want to talk about the chaotic end of earthly human history. Just briefly, because Pastor Chris did last weekend. But if you weren't here, chapters 4 through 19 of the last book of the Bible uh, deal with the end of earthly human history. Not human history, period, but earthly human history. During those chapters, you can read about uh, a satanically empowered world ruler called the Antichrist, or and there he's used, he's, the image is the beast. And the Antichrist will rule the global politics. He will control a cashless economy and uh, forbid worship to God. There will be global devastation that is unparalleled. And it comes in waves. The Bible talks about bowls of wrath being poured out. And uh, there will be wars, there will be famines, there will be pandemics, there will be martyrdom. And some of the description almost sounds like how you would describe a nuclear holocaust. If it was 2,000 years ago, you didn't know what a nuclear holocaust was. The devastation is horrendous. And with each of those bowls of wrath being poured out, it shows God's motivation for wrath. He doesn't want to just teach you a lesson, not initially, not ultimately. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us, and so when we're convicted, the proper response is to repent. I'm sorry, please forgive me. If we repent, we're forgiven. When we're forgiven, the Bible says we're justified, which means it is just as if I haven't sinned. But if instead when I'm convicted, I don't repent, and I harden my heart, and I do not listen, and I do not change, God will finally use judgment, pour out devastating judgment, to try to get our attention to get us to repent. You read in the book of Revelation over and over again with these bowls of wrath being poured out. It says, and in all this they still did not repent. Now, as you look at that, it's a pretty dreadful time. I don't want to be here for that. And if I understand what Paul is writing about in 1 Thessalonians correctly, which he talked about a few weeks ago, if I am a follower of Christ, I'm not going to be here for that because the rapture of the church happens first. And so while that period of tribulation, the Bible calls it, that theologians surmise is about seven years long, while that tribulation of all hell breaking loose on earth is happening, we'll be in heaven and we'll be celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, it is, uh, the analogy is that we are the bride of Christ as the church. Christ is the groom. And so it's a, kind of like a wedding reception, a celebration of finally being together. And uh, after the marriage supper of the Lamb and all this happens on earth, that will come to an end uh, with the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. And he will wipe out evil from the face of the earth forever. But in that... The second point identifies that justice is finally and ultimately served. Now, I believe that the desire for justice is hardwired in us because we're made in the image of God. Just like the appreciation of beauty is hardwired in us, we're made in the image of God. God is the one who spoke the world into existence. And when we were out in Utah, I had several what I call good job God moments when I just saw the beauty of what he has created. It's like, man, good job God. He put that affinity for beauty in us because it's consistent with who he is. 
Likewise, he puts a hunger for justice in us because he is a God who is a God who is just. And so, you know, when you grew up or if you have, how many of you have more than one child? Okay. Did you ever hear the words with a pouty look on their face? That's not fair. All right. You better treat us both equal or that's not fair. All right. Where did that that's not fair come from? Did you have to treat them, teach them? Okay, this is fair. This is not fair. This is injustice. No, it just comes naturally to us. That goes with us all through school and growing up and our young adulthood, even in our, our adult lives and careers and whatnot. We, we, there's just something that gets us when it's not fair, when it's not just. And those are the everyday occurrences that step on our toes. But, but then there are the horrific things that we deal with. On a global scale, you know, a few years ago I went to Israel and took our daughter Lauren and we went through the Holocaust Museum, as you would imagine, phenomenally well done. And literally about three-fourths of the way through, you kind of crisscross this building back and forth and it's one display after another of video recordings of people who survived Auschwitz, told of the horrors of it, the photographs, and what happened there should never happen to any humanity. About three-fourths of the way through, I had to stop in, in the hallway and say, I don't know if I can finish this. I'm just looking at an exhibit. And so you say to yourself, how does a ruler, a leader, and how do a people get away with that? And there is some solace of, okay, God is a God of justice and he will bring that to justice. There have been other uh, genocides across the last century that haven't gotten near the attention, but about as much uh, of, the, of the loss with, in Russia and Asia and Africa and parts of Europe uh, in early World War I, World War II. Then there's also the cry for justice when we see abuse in individual lives and, and crime and injustice on a community level, personal level. And that, ah, do they really get away with it? Finally gets settled. In Romans chapter 12, there's some advice for us now in verse 19. Never take your own revenge. Say never. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And if God says he will repay, he will repay. I add to that in parentheses, eventually, because sometimes we wonder, it seems like they're getting away with it. They're not, eventually. And then here is where we see the I will repay happening. The ultimate settling of score is done at what's called the great white throne judgment. It's in uh, Revelation chapter 20. And verse 11 it, talks about this event where everyone who's ever lived will be resurrected from the dead. Everyone who is alive will be there as well. And it says, I saw a great white throne, him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, that's holding places of the unrighteous dead. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. This verse is crucially important then and now to every person who's ever lived, including you and I. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. The most important decision you can make in this life is where you'll spend the next life. And the only way that you can get into the heaven that God has created for us 
is to have your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the only way you get your way in the na name in the Lamb's Book of Life is not by being a good enough person. It is not the Lamb's Book of Life of good people, of good deeds. Because even the best deeds I've got on my best day, my best week, most well-behaved, most godly, most whatever, it still falls way fall short. My good, the Bible says my righteousness, is like filthy rags compared to God's perfection. And you will never be good enough to be perfect and be in his perfect place. The only way is to ask Jesus Christ, knowing the Bible says all of us have sinned and the wages of that sin, the payment is death. It's this moment right here. The only way to avoid that is to make a decision in this life that, you know what, I can't pay for my own sins. Jesus, you died on the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, take the penalty of them. I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord and Savior. And when you come to that realization and do that, your name is placed in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you will forego this judgment. Now, what are the other books that are opened? Well, those are the books of a person's deeds, a person's life, if you will. That is where your life, you give an account if you don't know Christ for your sins. You'll be judged for your sins. And those people whose name is not in the book of life, okay, if you're not in that book, then we're paying attention to this book. It's your life. And, and they'll face eternity. You'll face eternity in hell. Make the decision. Oh, you're just trying to scare me. If I could scare you into heaven, I would. And later you'd thank me. But I can't. But today we take communion at the very least. Just in your own words, surrender to Christ. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Tell him you're sorry for your, your sins and ask him to, be, to guide you the rest of the way. Stop by the VIP room afterwards. They'll be happy to explain that to you and get some helpful information to describe that. And so we see that coming to a close. And... And even in Revelation 21, uh, it's not on the screen, but it's repeated again, this whole idea, the seriousness of it. And boy, before you get to new heaven, new earth, you need to understand you've got to be ready. You've got to have your name there. Because it says, for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, so far, yeah, they deserve it. And all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Whoa. You mean a liar is going to go to hell? Just like Adolf Hitler's going to hell? Well, see, sin is sin. Not perfect is not perfect. How many of you are not perfect? If you didn't raise your hand, you're really kidding yourself. <laughs> you got to do something about that. Thankfully, Jesus did something about that. All you have to do is ask him to apply that to your life. And your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. So, once that happens, then there is what I would call the divine do-over. And we identify it in the message as all things new. Say all things new. I want to unpack four things that are new. There is a new heaven and earth. There are new Jerusalem's gates. There are new Jerusalem's foundation. And there is a new state of existence. So if, how many of you have your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Best you know. All right, then for everybody to raise their hand, this is what's next. This is what's waiting for you. This is what we anticipate and long for. So heaven and earth, that's new. A new heaven and a new earth. And we see that in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. 
The earth we are currently living on is fallen and it cannot get up. And that happened from way back here. Creation gets flooded, right? I mean, creation, Genesis chapter 1, by chapter 3, Adam and Eve are sinning, doing their own thing, not God's will. That's the epitome of sin. We've all done it. And so with sin entered the floodgates of death and sin and heartache and suffering in just all that. Boom. And so that happened, and, and it is, you can't separate it out. You can't pull the evil out of the world without destroying the world. And so what God is doing is while we are living on this fallen planet, he makes a way for us to make it through living on this fallen planet relationship with Jesus. But there is coming a day he's going to say, you know what? And now I'm going to destroy that. That's going to pass away. Heaven and earth pass away. And I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. So listen to how amazing the new heaven and the new earth is. It's not on the screen, but he says, Behold, God will be among men. He will dwell among them. They shall be his people. God will be among them. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. There are some wounds in life that you never get over. There are some tears in life that you will always shed. There are some things that happen on this planet that cannot be totally reversed and undone while we're on this planet. And the wonderful thing is, but there is coming a day where he will wipe away all those tears, heal all those wounds once and for all. Yeah. I'm making all things new. And and one of the greatest things he's making new is you and me. Can you imagine a glorified body? Can you imagine every imperfection about us that drives other people and us crazy? All of a sudden, boom, we're like Jesus. It's going to be incredible. To him who overcomes, they'll inherit these things, the Bible says. So there's a new heaven and a new earth. And then let's talk about the architecture of heaven. There are new Jerusalem. New Jerusalem, by the way, it says, I saw new Jerusalem coming down. So there's a new holy city. It's the centerpiece of heaven. And even its architecture speaks to us. And he says uh, that there are new gates and new foundations. Let me read for you the new gates in Revelation 21:12. This new Jerusalem had a great and high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And names were written on them on the gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Whoo, does that blow your mind or what? And you're like, this guy's way too into the Bible. (laughs) Now hold that thought. I'm going to come back to that. This is incredible. The architecture is talking to us. The second thing, let's look at uh, New Jerusalem's foundation uh, in Revelation 21, verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Can you believe that? It's incredible. You're like, he is more sleep. No. <clears throat> All right, the 12, let's start with the foundation. We'll back up to the gates. The 12 disciples. So there are 12 foundation stones at the corners and probably at the gates or whatever. And on those foundation stones is that person's name. Now, you've been to buildings that have been, I mean, the Nutter Center is named after the Nutter family because they needed a Nutter place to play basketball. <laughs> no, sorry. You are way too kind to laugh. I did not say that any other service but this one, but that's special. So, that's somebody, there's a special reason for that. 
you got spiritual heroes here, and they've named the foundation. Can you believe it? I mean, if you're one of those 12 disciples, they named a foundation stone of New Jerusalem after you in heaven? So those disciples are Simon Peter. We have Andrew, his brother. James and John, their two brothers. We have Philip. We have Bartholomew. We have Thomas. We have Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and then it's either Matthias who replaced Judas or Paul. I'm not sure which one will be there because Paul is seen as an apostle as well. But those 12 disciples, their names are on the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. The architecture is talking to you. Let's talk first of all about Peter. Kind of an obvious one. Peter, in the, in the moment, you could argue that Jesus needed him most. What did Peter do three times? Denied him. Failed him. Let him down. And yet the architecture of heaven says something happened from Peter's shame till then. I would suggest to you that, that heaven shows us what amazing grace does. And God's amazing grace from earth to heaven removes the shame of the things we've done that we are so ashamed of, embarrassed about. I'm not so much talking about guilt, shame, like sin. I'm talking about, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but some here have done some really stupid things. Things you're ashamed of. And Satan loves things you're ashamed of. Because he will so beat you up with that and create uh, a shame label or put you in the shadow of your shame where you just kind of are so self-conscious, you kind of pull back and you never really are this again because you're living in the shadow of your shame. Peter had reason to do that in spades, as they say. It wasn't just that. It was Peter was the one who would kind of speak first and think later. Peter was the one who's, the Lord's walking on water. And he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. He gets out of the boat, walks on water, and immediately starts to sink. Jesus pulls him up, saves him, gets him in the boat. And what does Jesus say to him? Not nice try, but man, you have little faith. Peter could easily have, have shrunk under his shame. And then Thomas. We don't know much about Thomas. We could probably fill everything we know about Thomas in about 60 seconds. Except one thing. There's an adjective ascribed to Thomas. It goes before his name. If you know it, say it. He is Doubting Thomas. That's a label to be proud of. Doubt why? Because when Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared to his disciples. Thomas wasn't there. They go, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He goes, I doubt it. Never actually said that, but they call him Dying Thomas. We must have put it in there, right? Until, unless I can put my finger in his scars in his hands and put my hand in his side where the spear went, I will not believe. Doubting Thomas for 2,000 years. What label did you inherit when? What persona did you get imposed on you or kind of take on you and you are living to this day in the shadow of that shame, I'm here to tell you the architecture of heaven is telling you when you get there, it will not be that way. And so if thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then start now. Now you want to hear about the gates, don't you? 
Because the gates, as architecture of heaven, scream at us. If the, if the foundation stones talk to us, the gates are incredible. They're named after the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel are after the 12 sons of who? Say Jacob. Okay, so back here, there was, all right, creation gets flooded. The chosen family started with who? Say Abraham. Abraham and it's Isaac and then Jacob. They go to the promised land and back. Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became, became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 sons of Jacob are these guys that now have a gate in heaven named after them. Woo! It's Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, it's Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. These guys are some pretty amazing guys. They are spiritual heroes, not just in the Hall of Fame like in Hebrews 11, but their name is carved in the gates of heaven. They must have been way better than you and me. But then you, you, you look at Reuben... In those days, it wasn't prescribed, but God allowed polygamy, and so Jacob had other secondary wives called concubines. And you look at Reuben, and Reuben has an adulterous affair with one of dad's secondary wives. You get to heaven, you're going to see the gate Reuben. Simeon and Levi had a situation in life. They flew into such an angry, killing rage, they slaughtered humans and animals alike. You're going to see the gates of Simeon and Levi. Judah, we like to talk about, he means praise and all that, but Judah, go back and, and unpeel that there, and you will see that Judah had an adulterous relationship with, didn't know it, it was her at the time because of her veil, an adulterous liaison with his daughter-in-law who got pregnant, gave birth to a son, who would become the great-great-grandfather of King David and go to the book of Matthew, great-great-great-grandfather, many times removed in the family line of Jesus himself, Judah. Oh, and by the way, these, these 12 tribes named after these 12 sons, one of them was Joseph, who was dad's favorite. We talked about the mistake mom and dad made of playing favorites. Well, sure enough, they played, he played favorites with Joseph and his brothers hated him. And so Joseph goes out in the field one day. The older brothers are all tending the sheep and they plot to kill him. These 12 sons, well, and they decide instead, Reuben and Judah do talk to brothers. Let's not kill him. Let's take his robe that dad gave him, a multicolored robe. He's special. We'll dip it in animal blood. They took it to their father, Jacob, said, Dad, look, we found, is this, is this Joseph's robe? It is. Well, there's blood all over. He must have been killed by an animal. Dad surmises that, puts two plus two together, gets six. They let dad believe that. They watched dad go through this entire grief reaction, knowing that what they did instead, Reuben and Judah did say, let's not kill him. Let's send him to slave traders. They sell, they sell him to Midianites passing by out in the, in the field, and they take Joseph to Egypt, which is how the chosen family got to Egypt, and then they, all right, all right, and, and these 12 men become the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel, and when they conquer and settle, they conquer the promised land, they settle it, and they divide it into 12 states. You see, it's all kind of coming together, huh, kind of like it's the same book <laughs> by the same author. 
those 12 tribes, those, they settled the promised land, and there's 12 states, the state of Reuben and Gad and Asher and all that. These 12 guys, when they get to heaven, are going to go, you see that gate? It's me. I'm shocked I'm here, much less I have a gate named after me after what I did. But it shows, it shows that it's not just good grace, it's not just cool grace, it is amazing grace that can forgive us of our sins. And when we are in heaven, it is all things new. I don't care what you did, if you have come to Christ and been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, it is all gone. It is, we will get to heaven, and in heaven, the Bible says, God says, I will forgive you your sin and remember it no more. God can choose to forget, and he does. When you get to heaven, it is forgiven, and it is forgotten, and it is gone. Let the architecture of heaven speak to you now. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop carrying around guilt that God no longer attaches to you. You have been forgiven. Stop living in the shadow of your shame for the stupid stuff that you've done because God no longer ascribes that to you. The architecture of heaven says all things new, including me. And then the state of existence is new. And the state of existence in Revelation 22, verse 3, blows my mind. You ever felt insecure? You ever doubted yourself? You ever been depressed? You ever been anxious, anxiety attack? You ever have lust, envy? You ever feel left out? You ever feel like I'll never be good enough? It's for everybody else but me. Do you ever have horrible emotional pain or horrible physical pain or see a loved one go through that? We talked about injustice. I could go on and on. Those are all byproducts of sin in this planet. And when sin hit, there was a curse that we're living under ever since. Here's what's so incredible. All of that and more that I just described, it says in Revelation 22, 3, there will no longer be any curse. Gone. Yeah, you can applaud that. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. So they're going to have to redo dictionary.heaven up there because here are some of the words that will no longer be in our vocabulary. Because it's a new heaven, new earth. Everything else has passed away. We don't even have a memory of that anymore. So there'll no longer be a, a word called guilt or shame or regret or abuse or insecurity or grief or fear or depression or injustice or anxiety or sadness. None of that is in the dictionary of heaven because there is no longer any curse. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It is a do-over and it is with me soul deep for eternity. And no wonder one of the first things we'll do when we get there is one of the last things Jesus did when he was on this earth with his disciples and what we're going to do now to close. And if you didn't get your communion elements, raise your hand and a section leader will get them to you because we're going to take communion. Imagine with me this scene from heaven that's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Just raise your hand, they'll get it to you. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So we're to still live righteous lives as best we can. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These words are the true words of God. I believe that this is what Jesus spoke of on the night he was betrayed at the Last Supper as recorded in Matthew chapter 26. Let me read it for you. Because it says in verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and take, said, take, eat, this is my body. What you hold in your hand represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. He was willing to be broken for you. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, Giving thanks for that which represents the blood you're about to shed. He gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb in my Father's kingdom. And I don't know if it'll be the, the angel Gabriel or if Peter will do it and stand up and say, I want to raise our glasses to a toast to Jesus Christ who left heaven, took on the form of a man, died on the cross for your sins and mine, prepared a place for us. And now, folks, here we are at that place. Let's toast the amazing, unbelievable goodness and amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And we will raise our glasses in a toast to the one who did that and made that possible for us. Paul also says during a communion time, we should examine ourselves. And, and so... The team is going to play a song that's called Hymn of Heaven. I invite you, rather than to stand for it, to kind of get preoccupied with the bread and the cup, as I like to do during communion. Prayerfully examine yourself. If there are things you feel convicted of, confess them and trust God that he forgives you. Examine yourself and, and end with an attitude of just gratitude and thankfulness to Jesus for what he did and that all this that I preached about is yours now and someday in the future. And then we'll take the elements together. Listen to this, the hymn of heaven. How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone To look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. There will be a day when all bow for him. There will be a day when death will be. Face to face. 
How about you? As far as I'm concerned, the rapture could happen while I'm standing here and I'll drop the cup and bread and just meet you on the way up. But someday, he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. The shade of shame will be gone. And we will celebrate, no more curse, Jesus. We'll see him face to face. And we will be made complete just like him. Would you bow with me? And if you are here and haven't accepted Christ but want to, need to, I invite you just to pray a simple prayer asking him to forgive you of your sins. 
Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you know you need him and ask him to be your Lord and Savior and just tell him I surrender my life to you. Afterwards, the VIP room folks can help you. For the rest of us, Lord, we are so grateful that we hold this piece of bread that tells us how much you loved us. You were willing to go to a cross to be broken so that we could be a work in process being made whole someday to be complete. And so we thank you. Likewise, we hold this cup that tells us how much you loved us. You were willing to shed your blood so that we could be healed whether it be our physical diseases or our heartaches, you said by your stripes we're healed. And Lord, we hold this cup that shows how much you love us. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You shed your blood so we could be forgiven. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And Lord Jesus, you said as often as you do this, that we proclaim your death until you come. We remember your death. And you told us, take this bread, drink this cup, and remember me. So we gratefully and thankfully do that in your name. Let's take the bread and the cup together. Since April, you've been driving home a theme that every book of the Bible says. Every book of the Bible has one theme, and it culminates in Revelation, and that is look forward to Jesus. Would you say that? Would you say it again? Would you stand with me? Because I think we say it better when we're standing. I want you to think of all the heartache and frustration and struggle and stress and strain in this world and realize that someday that's going to be over when he comes. So from the bottom of our hearts, what do we do? There you go. And now, from the bottom of our hearts, let's enjoy this song while Jordan Felice will sing it when Danny Goki's here in a couple of weeks. We can sing it today. And that is that Jesus is coming back. So notify your face. Sing, clap along with us. Let's celebrate it. Have you ever thought that the world has kind of lost its way? Yeah. Crazy as it seems, yeah, I know it's going to be okay. It's temporary, there's nothing better We got forever and it won't be long Cause we know our help is on the way So keep your head up Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back Now don't you give up Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back And when the world gets complicated Jesus 
today those that gave their lives to you uh, we just thank you for that this morning we celebrate that with the host of heaven and uh, we just thank you for who you are what you've done what you're going to continue doing that no matter what we face in this world we can look forward to Jesus and we can know that Jesus is coming back someday thank you in Jesus name everyone said amen, amen. 